0: Failure and mistakes fascinate me. I remember all of mine so well. And yes, there have been many. Like, the time I nearly got fired from my first ever journalism job because I mistakenly tweeted out an internal memo. Yikes. Or, how years before becoming a journalist, I actually got suspended for writing a spicy blog about the teachers at my high school. Looking back, I probably should have fought harder before shutting that down. It was actually some really well-sourced stuff. Anyway, my point is, we've all been there. We've all made mistakes. Some that may have been bigger than the others, and some that probably impacted a lot of people around us. But the thing is, we'll keep making them. We're only human after all. We love to celebrate our wins, but it's our losses that really teach us. So why not put those mistakes to good use? Welcome to Better For It, a new podcast from The Globe and Mail about how our failures shape us. I'm your host, Tamur Durrani, a business and technology reporter at The Globe. Over the course of six episodes, I'll speak with noteworthy Canadian entrepreneurs and business leaders about a significant failure that shaped their careers and their path forward. Together, we'll learn from their mistakes and the lessons they took from them. Today, our guest is someone that had one of the most public business failures in recent memory. Do you think they made the wrong decision? Is there a world where Canopy is, you know, still thriving under your leadership? Thriving, I don't know, but I, I'm—I
1: don't want to sound pompous, but they wouldn't be where they are.
0: Bruce Linton was the founder and co-CEO of Canopy Growth, the first publicly traded cannabis company in North America when weed first became legal in canada bruce was riding the high under his leadership canopy grew into a company valued at around 18 billion dollars bruce in many ways became the face of the cannabis boom in 2018 he oversaw the sale of 38 percent of canopy to new york-based constellation brands who own beverage companies like corona the deal was valued at five billion dollars but Things ended badly between Bruce and the company he created. Cannabis sales failed to meet the hype. And after a disappointing quarter in 2019, where Canopy reported a loss of $323 million, Bruce was fired by the board in a move that shocked the industry. But Bruce's termination didn't stop the bleeding at Canopy. The company's stock once traded at around $67 per share at its peak in 2018. It hovers at just over a dollar. The company announced recently it was laying off close to 800 employees and closing its flagship production facility in Smiths Falls, Ontario. It was a devastating outcome for the small town of just 10,000 people. After the break, Bruce and I talk about what went wrong at Canopy, how he got fired, and why the cannabis sector hasn't delivered on its colossal promise. So, Bruce, let's start at the beginning. What were those early days like at Canopy Growth?
1: Well, it was weird because I guess I was actually the founder and I had to try to find anybody who would work with me. Mm -hmm. So I had this idea because I saw actually in the Globe and Mail an article that said the police chiefs of Canada were no no longer going to try and enforce marijuana laws. And that seems like a super weird thing. We, the police, aren't going to enforce the laws. So I read the article and it's really clear that the laws were so obtuse they couldn't. Mm. And so it was really clear in the morning of having read that, that there would be a change in public policy. And I made a few calls to people at Health Canada, and they were having hearings. And so I went around, and the first four people I asked, would you do this project with me, said no. Worst idea I've had, Mm. including my brother. Um, And the effect of that was it made me pretty clear on two things. One, it was going to be hard to find anybody who wanted to work with me. And B, probably most reasonable, rational folks would write this off based on prohibitionist bias. It was really completely received as a terrible idea. You couldn't get capital. Nobody would lease you space. There were at least two or three occasions where we were extraordinarily close to going bankrupt. In Even before pre-legalization? In oh, it was, it was it was, like in 2013, there was a three and a half hour window where I owned the building and it was the end of December, just closed buying the building. And the company, which was going to be in the building, Tweed, didn't have enough money to start January. By the time we got to 2017, 2018, it was the boom. But the boom, the boom took a while to get there. So when the boom did happen, how did that impact things? Well, it's a bit like a lot of things in life, right? Um, over anticipation, disappointment, and then realization over a longer time horizon of better than you expect. That's kind of been the cycle of cannabis. So like, if you think about when legalization uh, happened, I think the total market size was about 1.6 billion in the first year. That's pretty good. But I think the market size now is more than three times that.
0: So would you say that the cannabis market now is better than it was in 2019?
1: Well, it, it's bigger. Hmm. Uh, it has more interesting products. It still has two big deficits. One is probably 50 to 70% of all of the sales value goes to some level of government. Hmm. By the time you take the federal tariff, the provincial redistribution, local taxes. So 50 to 70% is a very heavy tax rate. The second part is we're in downtown Toronto. I think I walked from... Um, kind of base Street to here, I probably pass what, 20 or 50 bars where you can go and drink uh, alcohol. Did I pass four or five cannabis shops? Yeah. Did I pass any place where you could actually go socially and have a cannabis beverage or socially consume cannabis? No. How do you launch a new tequila? You do sampling at a bar, you do promotion on TV. And so that we're still struggling a little bit in Canada with the fact that you can buy it, but then you're supposed to go home and get in your closet or something to consume it. Like this is a social product in which there are no social platforms. I want to talk about your time at Canopy. In 2019,
0: you, after having been co-founder, were reportedly fired.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) What happened there? Well, no, not reported. Well, accurately reported. Uh, I made sure the press release said, you know, that it was terminated. Mm. And that the quote wasn't that, um, you know, I want to spend more time with my family because that sounds like retired. And I I think the core word of retired is tired. So what happened? Well, so... um, Pretty interesting stuff, so I think the day that I was fired, we had about twenty six percent market share, meaning one in four products in Canada that were sold was from canopy. Wow, and uh, we had about give or take four and a half billion dollars cash in the bank hmm. and the market cap of the second place business to us was less than half of our valuation. Those aren't typically the sorts of things you would say well, that you should be fired, you know you've got number one market share, you've got the most cash in the bank and your valuation compared to your competitors is twice as much. But the reason you get fired isn't for those things. What you get fired for is um, people don't fully understand, I think, as much. There's a huge difference between Canadian culture and American culture in business. Mm. And I, I think it um, is in part derived by the fact that the influence of uh, military in Canada is very little, right? We don't feel like a military culture, the generals, the general and all the soldiers. Listen, it's much more in America. So if you are the boss, the general in America, this is what we're going to do and everybody gets actively to do it. In Canada, I would say we're more like, hey, I think we can achieve this. Let's more collectively contemplate how we do it and cycle back and see if we are. And so I had um, a corporate culture, which was very, very like everybody who worked there got stock options. And a stock option says that if you join me today, if this company is worth $1 a share, you will get some at $1. If we work together really well and at the end of a year it's worth $10, you make $9 a share. And I mean everybody from the floor cleaner to the chief financial officer had these incentives. In America, they don't like that. It's more for the top 10. And so uh, I received about $5 billion Canadian billion for 17% of the company invested in uh, – de- call it December – of 2018 it closed so huge like this company six years old pretty big deal yeah huge it it gets five billion dollars for 17% where the prior year they put called 500 million in for 19% so in one year it went up more than tenfold but when they put the big cash in there was only one term I couldn't get them to change in negotiating and I mean these negotiations went for four or five weeks and that was to control the board so I know if somebody really 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 wants to make sure they have all the votes on the board and they control it There's probably going to be something at some point in the future where I disagree with it, but I will lose.
0: Right. Because when you sell your company, I suppose that expectation is that this might be possible, right? Yeah.
1: But we remember we were publics. They didn't buy all of it. They didn't buy 51%. Mm. So they still were a minority shareholder. But when you lose control of the board, and I I knew there would be something which we didn't agree on. I didn't know what it would be, and I didn't know it would be so soon. So it was eight months, two days, and three hours from the time that the check came in until I was fired.
0: What were you thinking when you took the company public?
1: So it was part of the very first, when I make a business plan, I like it to be one sheet. Because if you make it like 40 sheets and you start believing all the stuff you put down, but if you keep it to one page, it's it much much easier to say, do I believe it? And one of the things I had on the page was uh, untrusted topic. Then I made a little equal sign. And how do you get trust? Public listing earned media. And, and at that time, we became the first publicly listed cannabis company in the world and that allowed us to have a lot of our media, but a lot of people then said, well, if you're public, you must have accountants. Yep, we do. You must actually have disclosure. We do. And so it really helped get the conversation going and it really helped to encourage two things. At one point in time, I think our peak number of shareholders was about 2 million. And that means you have 2 million people cheering for you and buying your product where they could. But the the other part is when you're a public company and you announce things, it just it, it starts a news cycle every time. And so that was really the objective I had in listing was to enhance the credibility. Just like the reason we've got Deloitte and Royal Bank as our, our service provider was you were boring everybody's credibility so you could actually have a legitimate conversation. Because in the early days, you were almost certain to be dismissed or disliked because this topic came so riddled with a lot of bias. Mm-hmm. And I mean by medical professionals, bankers, you, you go to anybody in those designations, they didn't like it.
0: Two weeks before you were fired, you you did say, you know, profitability would come for the company after cannabis edibles became legal. You said that was something, and I'm quoting you, Canopy was built for, right? So what happened there?
1: Well, I did remember we had 26% market share. I think poor Canopy is down now to a couple of percent. Hmm. And so what you have to have, um, think of like uh, running a large business, like flying a large plane. If you're not going up, and you're just going flat, the next thing you do is you're going down. When you start going down on one of these bigger things, like Canopy was never built to be a little, no, this is to be a global dominating company. And so that means you have to take and be number one market share. Yeah,
0: I mean, you spent billions in acquisitions, right? Like, why did you feel like you needed to grow so fast?
1: Well, it's a thing of if you can be the first best cannabis beverage anybody has, if you can be the first best, you, we call them edibles, but they should really be called ingestibles. Like whether you chew it or drink it, I don't think anybody cares. But I think that's the sort of thing that if you can get people to feel confident to step off of booze onto cannabis and feel that you are their trusted brand, I think you can at least have a generational transition. When you think about the illegal market, they've they've lived a long time on smokable. Now occasionally gummies. No drinkables. Mm. This is the kind of new product where you're not fighting with the illicit market, you're actually fighting with big booze.
0: Let's go back again to the firing. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about no longer being part of Canopy, you know, a company you
1: co-founded? Yeah. Um, well, I, I must admit, I kind of uh, disliked it all the time and at times really hated it. And the company? Said, no, being away from it. Hmm. Because- um, um, when you're leading something that grows really rapidly, when it's it's really, you know, taking each step ahead of everyone, there's no sense of um, boredom. There's no sense of lack of what to do. There's no absence of motivation because this is a business which has um, science, it has agriculture, it has marketing. You know, we had Snoop Dogg to Martha, two PhDs from top universities in the U.S. all working together. Mm. Um, that's a very interesting environment where you're you're getting in uh, big dialogues about whether you can do something called tissue culture, which is how you can cut and cause plants to grow without seeds and germination, but just from the culturing of the tissue of an existing plant. We're talking that talk and then you're going across the hall and you're dealing with uh, you know Seth Rogan about houseplant and how they want to launch it so it looks like vinyl from the 70s. That's the spectrum of what cannabis is like. And so you can imagine when you quickly have to exit that, it's kind of a – a negative shock. Do you think they made the wrong decision?
0: Is there a world where Canopy is, you know, still thriving under your leadership?
1: Thriving, I don't know. But if I'm, I don't want to sound pompous, but they wouldn't be where they are. And I say that um, not trying to defend or be braggart, but it was a very negative culture shock mm. to an organization which won based on culture more than continuously evolved strategy. We could turn on a dime even though we we're a very big, you know, big entity relative to the others, because everybody was cohesively together. So what do you think they've done wrong since you've left? Um there was a culture where everybody wanted to achieve together. And uh, I think I even made myself in a salary basis, maybe I was the third, fourth, fifth highest paid person. When when that switches and the top person's very highly paid, and then when they start doing cuts and the cuts are done you know, um, to minimum packages, people start getting a little paranoid. It just, it, it just keeps changing the culture and it keeps changing the expectation people have of how productive they are. I, 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 we saw it, I don't know if you remember, you're too young probably, but, um, we had a great <laughs> Canadian company called Nortel mm. and Nortel was a terrific company and it had a, a a minor financial issue. I don't need to diminish it, but, um, what they did in order to run Nortel is rather than running it as a like literally one of the hottest patent generating engineering driven companies in the world. They turned it into a financial controls company and it was run by a finance guy. And so the challenge often is the finance team is terrific at finance. The sales team is terrific at sales. The engineering may be terrific at that. We're in a cannabis business and it takes innovation. So when you're trying to come up with new products, you're trying to change the world, you want to find brand new things. Do you call the finance department or you call the science department? And so I think what's happened is now their focus has been on giving guidance to the street, how fast will we grow or shrink? All these, I'll call it stabilized business metrics, which I don't think the sector is mature enough yet. I think the sector is still, every quarter, every six months, it's a totally different thing. We're going to see before the end of the year, probably there's only going to be maybe three chains for retail. So all those stores you mentioned, they're all, they're all going to be owned by three players, There's going to be this massive consolidation and then there'll be a bit of a war between them. I think you're going to see probably 30 or 40% of the cannabis producers go bankrupt and then the prices will start to go up.
0: You brought it up yourself and Nortel was a pretty big bankruptcy for many reasons, at least from a studying perspective to say the least. Tragedy Um,
1: of Canada. Tragedy of Canada. Some people would say cannabis
0: is turning into that in a way.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't even like if you think about Nortel at a hundred year history with massive amounts of intellectual property global customers, it was a top five dominant player. Right. So that is like a catastrophe for Canada that we just said, we're going to save the auto sector. Like I, I can't forgive government for that. The cannabis thing is it's uh, there will be some bankruptcies. There have been some bankruptcies. What's uh, been squandered by Canada is if you said, well, at the federal level we were bold and we did this thing for medical and we did it for REC, conservatives and liberals. So we go from this kind of almost collaboration thing to being unwilling to support trade missions globally to try to get the rules and regulations in other countries to mirror ours so we could have an advantage. If you said, what universities actually have university research chairs that are ex- exclusively oriented to cannabis and cannabinoids? I don't know if we have any yet. We have them in like how to treat sewage, but we don't have them in what could be the best combination of products from cannabis. So what we did is we we made some rules and then we didn't stand behind them and say, we're the best in the world, come and copy us so that our companies could have a track laid down for them. You've done the most hard part. Why not stand behind the companies? Why not push them?
0: So do you think we've squandered the opportunity?
1: Not entirely. Uh, Our potential still advantage is that America is squandering it far worse.
0: Right, because we're before them
1: still, right? Yeah, and and they're getting worse by the minute. They're getting more fragmented by the minute. So um, we still have a shot. Germany's coming next. Czech Republic's coming next. Do we think we can be in there and be successful? Maybe. But this is one of the few things where we had a chance Where Canada, had the first public policy, the first companies, and probably could have been number one around the world. We probably still are number one around the world, but we're not, not so dominantly so. Do you
0: think the excitement was overestimated? Do you think that we kind of overshot here?
1: Well, it was a pretty huge thing, right? This is the first, I'll call it serious country in 100 years that allowed adults to buy cannabis. So there's a reason like, Media coverage showed up from uh, literally from Japan to Russia. We had all U.S. major networks in Newfoundland, and the reason we're there is in a hundred years nobody transacted legally for cannabis. I remember there were lineups everywhere. Yeah, so that 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 is a very big global thing, and it was probably one of the most, um, probably the, some of the most coverage Canada has received in in terms of international media coverage in the last five years was for that event. It was a serious event globally relative to the actual size of the market, et cetera. So yeah. by default, that caused it to get way, way overheated in terms of how many people were going to get into the space, who's going to grow, who wants to buy stocks. Everything went to, to 11. Um, but the actual rollout in Canada, we've gone from 1.4, 1.6 billion to you know getting up to 5 billion in sales. That means it's taking away from the illegal market, but it also means people are dropping booze. And so I think the rollout, it's going to keep chugging along. If in two, three years we're not up at sort of eight billion, I'll be super surprised. So you don't think we've overshot? Well, I don't think. I just think it's building now, and we we've covered some of the things. But it was way. It was you know it was a it was a pinnacle of visibility, which often then results in an overdraw of everybody who thinks they should buy. Like look at all these stores you mentioned earlier in the interview. It was a huge win if you could have one cannabis store, which would be like a huge win to have one corner convenience store. There are no one corner convenience stores hardly anymore. Is it fair to say you made a lot of money off the hype? A fair bit, but like I couldn't sell when it was at the peak. I was Mm. running a company. Couldn't sell any. So when it was trading at 72 bucks and stuff, until they fired me, I couldn't really sell much. Mm. And then I tend to have a view that if you think I'm incompetent and fire me and I disagree, why would I continue to hold the stock in a company that I can't run the way I think I should run it? it kind of tells you the bus stops here get off and then we have a choice and for me um i generally think like mm, upon reflection would i keep going yeah i would have so if you want to do it your way I, i guess i don't need to hold the stock
0: we'll have more with bruce after the break Because we have been talking about bankruptcies and these sort of things, uh, one of the things that's really important also to consider, I mean, this was the case with Nortel too, is the way that sort of these things impact people. Um, and in the case for Canopy, that has very recently been in the headlines of impacting everything in Smith Falls, right? Uh, a city that's already been impacted before this, I should maybe call it a town, um, that has been impacted quite a bit before this. Uh, you know. And so it, Canopy announced in February this year that it was laying uh, off... 800 workers and close its largest production facility. Can we talk a bit about that? What do you think? What do you think is happening there now?
1: Well, um, for three consecutive years, every quarter, they've sold less cannabis than the prior quarter. So if you're not selling as much as you sold the last quarter, and for sure, if you're not selling more than, eventually what happens is you have to close everything. And it's devastating for a place like Smith's Falls, because when I bought that uh, old Hershey factory... It was an old factory in bad shape. Like, if I knew anything other than the town being super welcoming because they needed jobs and they wanted that building, needed a lot of work and a lot of uptake. And it is a 495,000 square foot building built over a couple of decades. It's
0: massive. I've seen yeah. it. Yeah.
1: And now it's probably 700,000 square feet. So, um, the people who got laid off, they didn't, frankly, in my opinion, do anything wrong. They did their job. Someone else didn't make it. So that the market, Uh, Was still buying the products that Canopy had, that we didn't succeed in sales. So a lot of people lost their job. The good thing, uh, those buildings aren't the ones we bought. So they've had tens of millions of dollars of improvements to bring them to standards, new buildings built, including the bottling plant and the pharmaceutical plant. So what the town has as an asset now is hundreds of times more relevant and worthy and will be attractive to people than what, I took because what I took had been empty for five or six years already. I mean, like, how do you get, ro- I should have had like a YouTube video. How do you get rid of raccoons <laughs> in a building? Like mm. that kind of stuff. This is not what they're getting into now. So I think Smith Falls will have a a softer landing because those assets, you could build, you could make any kind of pharmaceutical products. You could make baby formulas in, in these areas they are certified to that level. They have other areas which are like brought to a great standard that can be used for any kind of uh, vertical gardening. You could have an area which is great for shipping. You have a, a phenomenal bottling plant. So the, the assets are real. The town is uh, definitely feeling the pain.
0: Right, because, I mean, the people are still impacted no matter yeah. where which way you look at it, right? Like, I mean, sure, okay, I agree. Maybe it could go in some another direction. Those buildings could. But people are oh. left without jobs. The town is left, you know, completely devastated as a result
1: of this. Yeah, no. They're, so they're And this has
0: happened to them before, yeah. right? You know? Yeah,
1: they had Hershey leave. They had the uh, Rito Regional Center, which was a facility for people with special needs, closed down. It, they've had, this is one of those sort of small town industrials that there's been many things that close, And what I observed with the town though, is the reason they could have many things close over many years is they always find a new thing to do. So part of the culture of having something close is do you just mope around or do you say yes? And the reason that's a big deal is Another small town in the Ottawa area called Renfrew had a building that I was looking at buying. And they said, no, we don't want you here. So that building, I suspect, is still empty 10 years later. Smith Falls had a cultural that said, it's going to happen somewhere, which should happen here. We need the jobs. And they said, yes, we'd like you to grow cannabis here. That sounds like a normal thing. It was a super bold decision at the time. So I think like that town has had a lot of things get stopped, but it's because they had a lot of things that we were able to encourage to start. And so I'm I'm kind of optimistic for them. I feel very sad for the individuals. Um, particularly, you know, when I bought the building and said I'd turn it up, I had to present to city council and they said, well, what what kind of job level of creation will you commit to? I said, I, I commit that I think not less than 140 people. We had about nine times more employees than that in Smith Falls by the time it hits hit peak.
0: I do want to ask, you know, do you think other Canadian companies are doing this Smith Falls situation better? Do you think they would have handled it differently than Canopy? You know, I mean, is this purely a market problem or, you know, just frankly, is this something we're going to see maybe more of? You know, these companies coming into small towns,
1: building them up and then leaving after you've laid them off. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because part of the thing that's unique about cannabis is you go to the small town. Why? Why the heck are we in Smith Falls? Well, you want to have a building you don't have to pay too much for, which means it has to be empty, derelict. You want to have a jurisdiction in the early days, I'm talking six, six years ago, seven years ago, that wants you there. Usually that means they're low on jobs, high in employment, and you need to have usually quite a lot of power, like six, seven, eight, ten 10 megawatts of power to the building, which means you should have had infrastructure that was heavy before that's gone because the power's there. Well, that describes a lot of small towns. So the weird thing that wasn't expected with cannabis is cannabis set up roots in a whole bunch of kind of downtrodden small towns across the country. Hmm. Well, that that that's there's some bad when it turns down, it's down. But it, it ended up being like if you look at where all these places are, they're like Yorkville, Yorkton, Saskatchewan, or wherever. There's no grow up in downtown Toronto because it's too expensive in every regard. So for the small towns, it's been a, a bit of a boom. Now there's a bit of a bust. I think it's going to end up being a bit moderate. So Canopy's not leaving, from my understanding, Smith Falls. They're moving across the street to one of five buildings. Mm. Not great, but not the end of the world. We're coming up pretty quickly
0: on five years since cannabis was legalized in Canada. What were you right about and what were you wrong about?
1: I thought it would go global much faster. Canada isn't usually the world's most aggressive leading country in radical policy. Yeah. So my assumption that when Canada did it and everybody continued to show up at work, the governments around the world would say, holy shit, look at all the taxes they're getting. Like (laughs) this, look at all the jobs they're creating. Look at all the income uh, coming in as investment. And typically, governments in every geography need more taxes, more jobs, and more foreign investment. And so I thought when we had 16 or 17 countries nibbling around the edges of doing something similar, we're still really the only place that's done it. And you say, well, Uruguay. Well, Uruguay has a bunch of things. You have to go to a pharmacy. They can't make it very strong. And where is Uruguay? Canada is the only country still really that's done anything. And so I was wrong in terms of the rate at which we go global. Um, probably wrong at, uh, the rate at which Canada as a country would keep innovating. You know, we, the first year we said it's only going to be what we had in medical and then they started, but we haven't really let this happen yet in Canada. Like the government hasn't really said the objective is measured by, is there an illicit market still? Yeah. Like more than half of it's illegal. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're really focused on the end goal of make that near zero.
0: What's next for you? I hear psychedelics are next for you. What? It's uh,
1: yeah, it helped out. So when when you leave one place that nobody likes, meaning a field that everybody was negative about, you say, well, what what other fields are they irrational about? Because <laughs> it, it, it's 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 irrationality is usually because you're told something for at least a generation or two, and you f- stop thinking, you just repeat. Mm. And we were at that with cannabis. Oh, it's a gateway drug. Yeah, especially if you happen to buy it from a guy who sells all kinds of other shit in his terrible apartment. That's where the gateway is. Um, So I started looking at where was the bias that was unreasonable and what were people open to. And I thought we'd had a long history of uh, not talking about mental health and mental health had had become a more open topic while I was running Canopy and psychedelics could be helpful on that. So I did two or three of those. But really uh, I think COVID was the first time for many of us that we realized you could actually have a sleep pattern. You could actually plan a day and exercise at a certain point in time. And so I actually got into having – a life that involves sleeping, exercising, and not being on airplanes. And so I'm I'm kind of reflecting through the summer on what business I start next, mm. because in the fall I want to go back to school, which means starting a new business. Do you think your experience at Canopy will help or hinder your ambitions with psychedelics? What's well, What's different about this one? So I did the I, the psychedelic cycle was very short. I'm I'm kind of been in and out of it. I'm still helping two companies. Uh, I don't think it'll be anything I do will be in psychedelics or in cannabis. It will be in some other field that I think the biggest pub, the biggest advantage I see every time for a business is where government or governments around the world want to open something up to be regulated, meaning cannabis, meaning cellular wireless networks, and there are a number of these things on the horizon. Um, so that that to me is, I kind of like public policy too much as a nerd, I guess.
0: What is something you wish you knew back when you started out as a budding entrepreneur? And I mean that pun. <laughs> uh-huh. um,
1: here's a single thing I learned. You can spend just as much time with a small idea and get a small outcome or a big idea and get a big outcome. And what I mean by that is you could spend um, all your time trying to make a little side product that helps Microsoft or somebody else make their product incrementally better by 3%, 1%. Or you could say, no, I don't want to help the taxi industry. I'm going to create Uber. And it doesn't take more effort or anything to create the big idea. What you have to do is figure out how to do it and do it and go for the big thing. So I started off always trying to do small incremental. And then over the last 10 years, I realized, no, it's easier to just try to make a globally dominant company in a field that's totally different than it is to try and say, well, I want to help your extraction device by 3%.
0: Thanks to Bruce Linton for joining us on the next episode of Better For It. Indigenous people make up 370 million globally. We come from all continents um, and all different kinds of communities. And then we share a lot of the same stories about pain and loss um, and suffering because of colonization around the world and sort of being displaced and identity struggles and um, having things taken away. That's Jen Harper, founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty. The two of us talk about the challenges facing Indigenous entrepreneurs, how she founded her first venture while freshly sober, and, oh yeah, what it's like to be on Dragon's Den. No big deal. Better For It is produced by Kyle Fulton. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with all your friends. Until next time, you can find more business-related stories at theglobeandmail.com. XOXO. Gossip. Just kidding. I'm Timur Dorati. Talk to you soon.